Hi, and welcome to the Unsung Heroes podcast, a podcast where we focus on the awesome people working with your favorite music artist. I'm your host, Daniel, and today I have the awesome Matthew Chiper with me. Matthew is a sought-after producer and songwriter who have worked with artists such as Maroon 5, One Republic, Taylor Swift, and many more. Matthew talks about how exercising your memory helps with better productions, the voice as an instrument, emotions in music, and much more. Let's dive into it. Welcome, Matthew. It's so awesome to have you on the podcast today. Yeah, thank you so much. So you are a producer and songwriter who have worked with a lot of famous artists and I have already name dropped for you in the intro, but but just like briefly, how did you get started in producing and songwriting? I know there's something about a classical flute involved. Right? <laughs> yeah, so uh, <laughs> I grew up playing classical flute. Um, that's just the instrument that grabbed me in fourth grade uh, <laughs> and did private lessons, almost went to college for it. And... Uh, in high school, I realized girls maybe like guys who play guitar and sing a little more. <laughs> got bit by the singing bug. Uh, was a terrible singer, but slowly, slowly got better. Um, one of the advantages of being a male in high school singing is there's just less competition, at least where I was. Yeah. So you can get into better choirs and like that'll push you to get better. And uh, in college, I was in an acapella group and we went to a studio and did a cover of Thriller. And I was like, what is this? I'd never known it, it was like 2006 and my brain had couldn't fathom that you could possibly record yourself and <laughs> uh bought a 99 dollars student copy of uh cakewalk which i don't know if that exists <laughs> yeah. anymore um, um i don't know <laughs> and just started making music in my dorm room that's how it started and i used to record guitar like with two microphones just like laying on the microphone cases in the stairwell of the <laughs> dorms just annoying the crap out of everybody and uh, it sounded terrible, but <laughs> you got to stop you, some, yeah. Yeah, you kind of you start, and it, things are kind of suck until they don't, you know. <laughs> and you slowly yeah. get better. That's how I got bit by the recording bug, the expensive, expensive hobby at the time. Uh, very much, very much so. And then you moved on to to like engineering for Ryan Tedder from One Republic at at some point, right? Uh, yeah. So. Um, I was just making records in my basement, so maybe that can kind of have an interesting perspective of I didn't come up in the normal L.A. studio world interning there. I just started making records in my basement, recording friends, um, mm. eventually start getting to a point where people start to hire you, um, even if it's not very much money. And, <laughs> um, and then I met the drummer of One Republic randomly i was working in a restaurant we connected to bar and i was just like you look like a musician and he was like yeah and i was like what do you play he's like i play drums he, you in a band and he said yeah one republic and then um i actually had my eye lock around my neck on a chain at the time that's how i like kept it safe and it's probably like the <laughs> nerdiest so cool. goofiest <laughs> thing so but i was nerdy. like oh i'm an engineer and i like showed him my eye lock that was hanging on my chain because i had so much software on it and i didn't have a lot of money so i was <laughs> yeah exactly. you know afraid of losing it and uh, maybe he thought I was just crazy enough. And we started recording drums in his basement. Some of those got in, were in, some of those ended up being used in a Ralph Lauren campaign. And that kind of bought me a little credibility of like, oh, he's not like a total idiot, <laughs> you know? <laughs> he um, knows what he's doing. So he introduced me into Ryan Tedder, had a private studio out here in Colorado. And mm. um, the drummer introduced me to that studio. Uh, the drummer's name's Eddie Fisher. And 
um, I got along with the intern or got along with the engineer there. And then he allowed me to kind of give myself an internship, show up clean. You got to be patient, you know, just yeah. digging into the old storage of old MIDI keyboards and tangles of messes of my cables and organizing things. And, um, yeah. you got to be kind of humble. You know, I, like I, I knew how to record, but you have to, I had never recorded in a, in a big studio and the engineer there taught me studio etiquette, which mm. is basically shut up, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like people don't care what you think unless they ask for you ask you and then you can give an honest opinion but like there's nothing more annoying than an assistant engineer or an engineer offering opinions on a record when people are trying to be creative yeah so, um that was a gr great lesson to learn he because he came up in the la studios at like chalice and stuff like that and so mm. he taught me a lot of that um etiquette which is really useful and yeah. um and it was good timing and then we started working on one republic's was it their third album native Hmm. And then they hired me on as an engineer. And then eventually um, I became Ryan Tedder's personal engineer for about four or five years and kind of got a PhD in production, just learning how to make records from him. And yeah. it was. Uh, it must have been amazing. Yeah. I mean, I really realized that what I would have called a master, they would have called a crappy demo <laughs> at the time, you know, <laughs> just seeing how high the bar was. And. Hmm. And then seeing how much work it takes to get there sometimes. Sometimes yeah. it's easy, uh, but a lot of times <laughs> it's not. And exactly. a lot of work goes into making these really good pop records. Yeah, exactly. And that's why we're doing this, like, this podcast series is because we want to, to focus on like the hard work that actually goes into to making something really, really great. And yeah. just briefly for anyone not completely safe in the terminology, in your words, what's like the, the brief difference between producing and songwriting uh i mean the the lines blur um sometimes you know you need to help songwrite as a producer but um i would say primarily the producer's job is to make sure whatever comes out of the speakers is compelling and believable and moving and sounds good and I would put sounds good last <laughs> in that order. <laughs> um, and that's a lesson I've really been learning recently is, is I focused, you, if you focus too much on, oh, you know, this kick has to be perfect and blah, blah, blah. But like the record doesn't feel good and isn't compelling, then what's the point? No yeah, one's going to care. a great sounding kick if, yeah. if the song doesn't grab you. <laughs> yeah. You made the best sounding kick of all time. Good for you. No <laughs> right. one's going to hear it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And... So I think I think that's how I see myself as producers. Like I am ultimately responsible for what comes out of the speakers, mm. and um, helping the artist choose their song. And um, sometimes that can be a frustrating process because um, I think if you're doing your job right, you you should be very picky and you should be kind of almost annoying the artist. Be like, no, you need to keep writing. You need to keep writing. Yeah. And. I tell people like, I want to find a song that's worth producing. That's worth you investing money in to get it sounding good. And, and if it's just an, an okay song, it's not going to sound, it's not gonna be worth it. Um, so you're like also like almost denying artists, like saying they're coming with a song and you're like, no, you can do better. Give me another one or like pushing them towards writing even more because I've heard like 
some major artists writing a hundred songs and then dumbing it down to like having five super great songs out of those hundred songs. And I think that doesn't the, seem unreasonable. I think that's the way to do it for sure. Um, if you can, a lot of times it's just, you know, the, the time and budget can really constrain that a lot, yeah, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but I'm perfectly fine with like, if I'm working with an artist saying, you know, come back to me later, you know, I'm not in a rush. You know, I've got work now that I can be working on. We can cycle back around to getting this. A lot of artists don't like to do that, unfortunately. Um, no, of course. It's, they are on it's the, hard. Like, they're on the process to, to getting a song. They want their song done and then want to yeah. progress, right? And yeah. I could very well be wrong. I, I just may not get the song. And <laughs> yeah, I try to be honest with artists if, if, if sometimes I'm like, this song is good, but it's not for me, you know? Hmm. And if yeah. I'm not feeling it as a producer, I shouldn't produce it because it's not going to come out good in the end. Um, somebody else may. And it, like, you know, I, I never have any, I never take offense that people work with multiple producers. I'm like, we're all different chefs and, and, and you don't like to go to the same restaurant every night. You know, you want to get a little variety. <laughs> people have different strengths. So, you yeah. know, come to me for what I do, go to other people for what they do. Yeah. Very true. So, so why do you think like specialized producers and songwriters are important roles in, in the modern music industry as we have it? For better or worse, we're kind of becoming like the their whole band <laughs> in a way. <laughs> um, you know, the, there's definitely kind of maybe something lost in, in the community aspect of, you know, getting a bunch of people in a studio and, and there's people who do that. That's just not how I work. Um, hmm. I work well by myself. Um, yeah. Yeah, so you basically do do everything yourself when producing. Yeah, and so you become kind of the whole band for the artist. And I think with what budgets are, I mean, you could definitely like hire more people if the budgets were bigger. You know, if people could afford to hire session players and and, and session musicians and singers and all that. But you know, most of us are working from home, as you can see, I am. So like, yeah, we don't yeah. have like a big tracking room. We do mostly programming and pop. Um, and then the only thing I really track is like, um, guitars, bass and vocals and mm. most everything else is programmed, but so it, it, I guess it just becomes a collaboration. Like the producer is the one that helps actually just make the record. And, um, it's nice that a lot of people can produce now pretty much anybody can. And, yeah. um, if you can record whatever it is you do. That's a huge advantage. You know, if you're a drummer, if you can record your drums, uh, everyone's kind of responsible now for being kind of an engineer as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, like recording a little bit, sending it off maybe in a demo format to begin with, and then working from there. Uh, I think a lot of people, especially the last couple of years here has been, has been like that for a lot of people. Yeah. And if you're a singer, being able to track yourself and if you're, yeah. you're a good singer that you can make money being singing demos you know yeah exactly and, yeah uh it's not crazy hard and and with the right gear i'm i'm a big preacher of the sm7b um i think i tell everybody i'm like just get an sm7b it worked for michael jackson it's good enough for you <laughs> it's gonna work in your living room it's gonna work in your bedroom mm. you know you put a ten thousand dollar telefunken or neumann in your bedroom that's untreated it's probably not gonna sound good so no 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 yeah, exactly. And how do you think like like the Rose producing songwriter? How how do you think they will look in like five or ten years? Um, from from 
I think being a straight up songwriter is becoming more and more difficult as okay. music moves faster. Um, Why is that? Is it because you have to like get it done in a certain amount of time, or is it just? Well, because you can't. You're not the one making the the master, and the masters have become so important. Um, that's what makes more money on on Spotify. Um, and you need to be able to make a master to like pitch to film and TV. And so, if you're a songwriter, you have to be really good at making relationships with the artists and producers, um, and being able to make the masters come to fruition then and then be really really good at what you do and yeah, if yeah. you're really good at lyrics that's a huge <laughs> plus because most people aren't <laughs> and um if you're great at concepts and lyrics like as a songwriter like yeah. you're the person i want in the room with the artist at least in my experience um but i i think that like um do you ever see the the documentary sound city with dave grohl yeah 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 and I, I find that one kind of interesting because like he kind of like bashes Pro Tools and all this stuff. And and mm. my analysis of that is like what happened is like the cheese kind of got moved for them. Like back in his day, when you had to record on tape, you had to be an amazing band, right? Like yeah. Foo Fighters are an amazing band. And mm. now we cheat six ways to Sundays to make make a record, right? And <laughs> I'm perfectly fine with that. What matters is what comes out of the speakers and is it emo can you emotionally connect to it? How we got yeah. there doesn't matter. Um, the more musically skilled you are, the easier it is to get there. <laughs> and and of course, sometimes yeah. that can have re or a lot of times it really helps preserve the energy. But I, I kind of feel like that documentary is Dave Grohl um, kind of complaining or coming to terms with like, well, now everybody can sound like a good band because you can edit in Pro Tools. I'm like, yeah. okay, so now where do you compete? You compete with the song, <laughs> mm. you know, you have to become better songwriters and you have to become better at um, putting energy and believability into a record, which I think is the hardest thing. Like I can edit your vocal all day. I can edit your guitar playing all day, but if it doesn't have energy, mm. then you're gone. That's then then it's just, it's just in time. It's just technically yeah. <laughs> better, but it's not like, and it's in tune, you know, but it's not. Yeah, and I also think like it's a hard thing to not only try to put in a song, but it's also hard to like figure out like you know it when you hear it, but sometimes it's hard pinpointing exactly where it's coming from. It can be so many different things, right? But you know when you hear a song that's like half energy or something like that, but then you hear a really great song that has like the energy and has like a a vibe and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think it's really like it's a great point with you're competing on the actual song and not the like skill as much. Yeah, which there's something sad about the loss of musicality there. Um, yeah. But that's just the way computer-driven music is going, and computer-driven music is even organic-sounding music in a lot of ways. Like we're still, it's all going into the computer and into. Yeah, yeah our DAWs and being turned into something and enhanced into something. And I find that fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that makes it possible for you to sit and create like hit songs by yourself, basically with an artist, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's more fun with other people for sure. <laughs> <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. And, and how like about you personally, what's the best part about your job as a producer and songwriter? Um, I, I mean, I think some of the most exciting moments is when 
you finally get a record like clicking, you know, when that it starts mm-hmm. like locking in and you gotta, and, or at least you feel that it's clicking and, and, you <laughs> yeah. know, whether it's three in the morning and like you want to turn off your speakers and kind of jump up around in your room and, and you might listen back the next day and be like, that was terrible. <laughs> but, you know, you started with silence in this, mm. you know, blank session and then you turned it into something. And like, I think that's kind of cool. Um, and so realizing that kind of energy in a record, I think it's really fun. Yeah. Um, and being and like, you kind of can pat yourself on the back and be like, Oh, like I made that, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And at I least you think it's cool. Nothing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and sometimes it's not cool. You listen back next day. You're like, what the heck was I thinking? Um, yeah. I could, I could get this. I could imagine there's a lot of like these moments going through a song like you get up to and get to a point and you're super hyped about it and then you like listen to it the next morning as you're saying and then you come back down and figure out oh, okay maybe not that good i need to, to yeah. go in a little other direction yeah so. usually when i'm in that position it's i need to go back and mute stuff like ah, i had yeah. this happen the other day in a record i was like pretty excited about it. i listened back later i was like oh i was way too busy on the guitar part i put in on the chorus and it's it was fun to play but it's <laughs> it's it's taking up too much space and getting in the way of the vocal and and then you go and try to fix that puzzle yeah juggling all the different parts (laughs) yeah yeah i mean arranging is it can definitely feel like a puzzle sometimes you're like what's the piece that's gonna fit in to make this work yeah so do you normally like work you get a lot of stuff into the project and you get a song going in, in a certain like section a chorus or a verse and then you decide to to arrange everything out or how do you go about it? I always start with the chorus, even songwriting. Always start with the chorus. Um I've worked with a lot of artists that like to start with a verse. And if that works for you, cool. But a lot of times we're just banging our head against the wall trying to figure out like we have this cool verse. Now what in the heck is the chorus? Yeah. Um because it, it's it, it just easier to find like your destination and then work backwards. And that's, mm. that's a pretty established songwriting tool. Uh, you don't have to follow that rule, but it's a lot easier to do that. And I think it's easier to do that. Like um, in production too. figure out like mm. what's and even almost starting like with a third chorus and be like, what's the max level of energy and yeah, yeah okay, now we can strip back from there and get to that point. Um, but sometimes you're like in a songwriting session and you make a vibe and you're like, well, I thought this was the chorus, but now this is the verse and this is the pre <laughs> and you shuffle it around and, and, and you find where you need to go. Yeah, cool. So we have the, the best thing about your job. What about like the worst thing, if you can come up with anything here <laughs> or the mo- the hardest part? I like the worst part. It, it gets people thinking a little bit. <laughs> Sometimes the part that makes me the angriest is when I'm tuning just a bad vocal. Oh yeah. <laughs> but then I'm like, this is my fault. I shouldn't have been working on this project. And, um, and I think that's that's part of like the bad experience is that you should have like done more to get it better in the first place, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, or just sometimes like you just have to you tell yourself, I I should not have taken this project. Um, yeah. That happens, you know. Like, I think that's maybe part of the worst part too. Is you're like, well, I you know. I th- when you're when you're doing music full time, you're not always you don't have the full choice of what music you're working on because you're like of I course. gotta pay my mortgage. Yeah. So you know <laughs> if there's someone they really want to do the song and like and you've got time, you're like okay, let's do it. Um, yeah. 
which I think is a, is a great advantage that somebody who's not working full-time in music has that they don't always see. Um, if you're working a, a normal quote unquote, normal job or just a different job, you have the ability to work on whatever music you want. Yeah, you have the ability to say no to yeah. some project, right? Yeah, and so so use that advantage you have if you're not working full time. Um, yeah, and that's that's cool. But and then and then like the the uncertainty of just and <laughs> and I, I've learned that this is just hum, being human. <laughs> it's just the uncertainty yeah. of the future of just this <laughs> existential like, oh my god, like when, how, if. Is this going to really work out? Will it ever, you know, like, cause it's just a long, long, long path and yeah. you have successes on the way, but like, you know, I'm not on a yacht right now. <laughs> you know, like, uh, I don't know if I'll buy a yacht. If I ever, I'll rent a yacht. If I ever like yeah, yeah. a couple of huge hit songs that I've written and produced, but, uh, you know, so, but I think that's being human in a lot of ways. We all kind of like, what am I doing with my life? Yeah, and, yeah, exactly. I think everyone goes through that like yeah. a couple of times a month or something like that. There's a, but there's like this, this kind of poignant pressure when you're pursuing uh, a job and creating music or creating anything. I like to say creating yeah. over creative because sometimes creative is like too fluffy of a word. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm a creative. Or like, no, I create. I'm a, I'm a maker. I'm a craftsman. I, I make stuff. I'm a creator. Um, I don't get to sit here and, and wait for the butterflies to inspire me. I got to like sit no, down no. and make shit happen. Um, and so that it's a hard path. You know, there's lots of hard paths in life. Choosing to become a creator is, is a difficult one. So make sure you love the process and not the results. <laughs> if you're going to do it. Because you, you always start out with nothing. Whenever you begin a new project, you start out with, with nothing and you have to create something out of it. Uh, I think yeah. that's like, and you go through the entire like roller coaster of oh this is awesome oh man this sucks hey it's awesome <laughs> again and, and we go yeah. around like so you really have like you say you have to love the process and you have to love those those downsides as yeah. well or when, and the more you do it the more confidence you gain in your cuz your skills get better of like of course yeah i'm going to you know i i have confidence that i can make good music not every song you have hmm. songs that just meh. <laughs> you know and you okay um and then sometimes it just like flows out of you and it's great, you know, and, and, and the more you make songs and the more you make records, the more you just like, okay, well, you know, that one was whatever. I'll make another yeah. one. And, yeah. and they become less, you become less precious about it. And I think a good yeah. way, you still care. You want to make a good product, but you're not like, oh, you know, like I remember the My- first song I like recorded, I like mixed it for like two years and just because I was learning mixing. But then you're like, this is a big old waste of time. I'd be way better off if I had written fifty more songs. Yeah. Than rehashing the same not very good song <laughs> over and over. <laughs> Trying and over to again. make it sound great, right? Yeah. 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 I, I totally get that. Like being not so precious about it and moving forward is an important part. So like. What's for you? What's the most important part of a of a song? Like, like, what's the purpose of a good song? The purpose of a good song is is that it makes the listener feel something, mm. and you can separate that even from do I like it? Like, I'm not like a huge metalhead, but I can acknowledge, oh, they're effectively making somebody feel something, so that's a good song, you know. Um, it's not. I'm not gonna you know <laughs> listen to it a ton or make it. But it's a good song, because um, I think we're 
in the feelings business in a sense, mm-hmm. like, and a good song conveys that. And it can be hard, especially for younger artists to see that. I think they, they have this feeling of, oh, I want to express myself and may sound harsh, but nobody cares. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, they don't care about how you feel. They care about how you make them feel. And sometimes those two things align of when you're really emoting and expressing yourself, you're conveying the emotion that makes them feel it. But that seems to me a more of a rarity. That's more the stars aligning that I think um, a good record goes in with the intention of like, okay, I want to give the listener a feeling and you want to yeah. have authentic feelings going into that. Of course. Yeah. You, but it's, you, those, those feelings can come, those feeling can like come from the inside. Right. And you say, instead of saying, I want to express myself, you're saying, okay, I want people to feel the same as I'm feeling. Yeah. It's a connection thing rather than just like, Oh, look at me. I'm so cool. I'm so deep. I'm so introspective or I've got yeah. such quirky thoughts or I make such cool sounds and like, and that music's fine. It's cool. It's what it's, it kind of falls into like music for musicians sometimes is how I think of it. <laughs> but I think effective music communicates something to the listener. Yeah. yeah. I think that's really cool. So how do you like go about that when you're producing just out of curiosity? Is there anything you're doing to like promote that in a, in a writer you're working with or an artist you're working with or anything you do? Yeah, I think... Oddly enough, like sound design and organization is a part of that. Um, The more organized you are of like, or, or just the more familiar you are of like, oh, like I want this kind of kick. I know where to get it. Um, I know I want this kind of sound. I know where to get it. So you're not spending as much time like, oh, let me sound design and serum for 20 minutes in the middle of a writing <laughs> session, you know, because yeah. nobody wants to hear that. Um, yeah, and then you lose like the, the flow you're in or like yeah. the creative space. Yeah, it's trying to preserve uh, that flow and that energy. And I mean, you're asking kind of the billion dollar question <laughs> in a sense of how do you do that? And it's it's really <laughs> yeah, it's really hard. That's the hardest part about making records and being organized helps. So, you you know, it's, at least in the producer side, Um in an ideal world, like if you're in the room, this is harder during COVID, but if you're in the room with the artist and you just spent three hours talking about the meaning behind the song and you just wrote the song and it's fresh. And if you can get that vocal knit there, that's yeah. probably going to be the most believable vocal. So if you're, if that, if you're in that space and, and things are going well and you're like, Oh, okay, we're cruising. Like the song's written, mm. get that vocal, that lead vocal. Uh, don't treat it like a demo because you may never be able to beat that. Um, that really helps. And then I think like a lesson I'm learning too for myself is like learning to trust that that flowy part of your brain when you just like relax and get into music and you're kind of in the zone after you kind of, you know, take some warming up to get there a lot of times. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but trusting that that part of your brain can provide a lot of value. Um naturally my brain wants to be like, oh, I've got to think this through. I've got to think this through. And if I'm not thinking really hard, it must not be good. Ah, uh, yeah. You know, and and that's almost like a trap we fall into of like, yeah. And a mantra I have is like, it doesn't, it's not always easy, but it doesn't have to be hard making music. <laughs> that's great. Um, 
That's really it's, great. So that like that kind of mindset, and then and then you just kind of <laughs> just hope that something works out at the end. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I know it's a tough question, like asking how to write, write like the good songs, but but yeah, I think that's a great answer. Like, well, oftentimes we like we sit there and like you know, and this is one of my beefs with writing um, lyrics in Google Docs. I think it's a fantastic tool, but if we're all just sitting there looking at the lyrics and like thinking, mm. hmm, hmm, like, I don't know about this line, this line, this line. Sometimes we're helping, but some often we're making it worse, you know, because yeah. that's not how you are. That's not how the music comes out of the speakers. People aren't looking at the Google Doc. So people do look at the lyrics when they're like done, but they're like looking to them while they're listening. You don't just read lyrics. <laughs> read them and then listen to the song, right? <laughs> yeah. Like just go read a stand-up comedian's transcript. That's going to not be funny at all, you know, because the delivery affects how they sound and something can look yeah. so stupid on a page. Um, or my, you know, sometimes I fight against people like, oh, we just used that word like two lines ago. I'm like, who cares? You know, <laughs> if it feels right, you know, yeah. if it if it feels annoying that we're using a word over and over again, but kind of trying to, you're trying to like balance the, the flowy, like in the zone part of your brain that, when, mm. that gets the musicality out with the analytical revisionist part, which you need both. Like you need to revise and like, okay, we can make this better and yeah. trying to keep them in check. And it's a hard balance to do. Awesome. So Matthew, you're, you're a well-known producer and and have many years of experience behind you and you started out on the flute do you actually still play the flute can you still play the classical flute? uh not as well <laughs> um <laughs> but i still can <laughs> yeah um it's funny when you're when you're a kid um especially as a as a male when you're playing the flute this is just a weird dirty side tangent um <laughs> yeah when you have to start shaving yeah. um the flute gets it's it's like sticks to your smooth skin and it's like feels weird to like get it in the right place so when you're finally like you know 16 17 18 years old you're like ah this is weird and then finally when i got older and was like oh i can grow a beard it's yeah. easier to play because it like can move around on your beard and james galway is like the like the most world-renowned flautist and he has a beard and i was like hmm that might that's be why, why. <laughs> that's why not that awesome. it changes the sound better it's just something with like when you shave your chin any, yeah, yeah, it feels weird. Yeah, yeah, yeah I get that. <laughs> but, awesome. but yeah, okay, yeah, you, you probably tried a little bit of everything, different clients, personalities, experience in the studio and, and interaction with clients and so on. And I know a lot of listeners are, are interested in getting like a, a sort of a look behind the curtain, like into the engine room. So, so mm. could you tell me about a time when you had a challenging experience in the studio? It could be from a recent experience or from your time in, with Ryan Tedder or, or whatever comes to mind to you. Try to think. I've been lucky and not have any like horror stories of yeah. of uh, studio experiences, and and because most of my experience has been like in private studios, um, and then in my own you know home private studio, which you have a little more control of like who comes in. Um, yeah, definitely. but. I think I think the difficult times are just when you lose perspective on a record. You just get yeah. so deep and then you get confused and you if you're working with other people, you might start arguing about like what should we do and you you're narrowed in on like two measures of a song, you know, <laughs> and you're like this isn't working, how can we do that? And you're trying all this, you know, that's that's some of the most difficult frustrating times if you're like and you're you're probably just lost in being analyzed or analytical. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
what do you do in situations like that when you you get to like start arguing a little bit with with the artist and you can feel like like the what you call it, the vibe in the studio is maybe changing a little bit <laughs> yeah uh well you try your hardest not to 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 do that <laughs> you know you want to yeah. preserve the vibe and the feel and um when you have an artist and singer in the in the room in the room you want to make sure that they feel comfortable um, of course yeah at all times cuz it's it's hard to sing um but you know i've been in, in those situations more like with people that i work with regularly so you're kind of like you, you have more like license to annoy each other sometimes you're like okay whatever <laughs> like you know my collaborator is being stupid today and i was being stupid today and then you know you just you find a solution and then you just let it go <laughs> and, <Yeah>. you know, <laughs> and you're like well but we didn't win those two bars of that song and and you know you have there's a lot of compromise and collaboration um and that usually is a good thing and um you just say okay this is you know i didn't like that idea but they felt i was outvoted they felt strongly about it i'll trust them yeah we will write another song another day you know <laughs> yeah yeah that's great and how about like a a great or interesting experience from from the studio like or something like really makes you think oh, i love what i'm doing here i think um it was inspiring seeing some of the like handful of some major label artists that i've worked with and some like really really crazy up there people yeah. and i think seeing how they work and and seeing that okay they're people too and they they had they struggle at times too to make records and mm. to make songs but they persevere and they've written so many so many so many you finally get to the good ones and you you get good enough at it to to make effective records and just seeing that like okay it's it's possible you know humans make <laughs> hits yeah you know? <laughs> and they're they're humans like you and i and um and they're very talented um but they put in a ton of work and 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 i thought it was really cool also to see some of the best um artists and at the top of their game are really nice to the people around them and i think that they've realized you have to be you know gone are the days of being this crazy diva rock star um because it's a tough industry and it takes um especially for like you know like a band like coldplay it takes i can't i don't even know hundreds or thousands of people if you think about everybody in their team yeah. um from songwriters producers engineers then you have like everybody who shoots the videos and you have their accounting team and you have their live management and their managers and then the whole crew and like there's so many people that support this one artist or one band and yeah and the smart ones and those are the ones who usually persevered so long like a band like coldplay <laughs> or one republic is that they know like you need these people and you yeah. need to be good to your family because they're going to be good to you and they're going to make your career last as long as as they can yeah because like i think it's interesting what you said with gone on the days of being a diva in the music industry because we heard about that like in the earlier days like in the 80s and the 70s and something like that where you could get away with being somewhat like 
annoying may not be the right word, but, but like <laughs> yeah. being being like um, yeah, being a diva. And and like what you're saying is that you need to have the team to actually succeed today. And there are so many moving parts that need to get from from one idea to actually get it to a song, an album, and then get it out. And then also like the dive part is a major thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's really interesting. Um, but then cool. to see that they're people too, you know, like there's, yeah. they have this huge thing and, and, and sometimes to watch, you know, it'd be, it'd be interesting to be in the studio and like watch Ryan struggle to find a part and be like, okay, like he's got to hunt and he's got to sweat and like figure it out too. It's, it's not always easy for him, you know, um, There's no like kind of magic that these like top guys have that they suddenly just burst out <laughs> and have the the top ten hit of the year and then just proceed. Okay, I need coffee now. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, if you could write, if you wrote one hit a year, you'd be well above the greatest songwriter and producer of all time. Yeah, you know, and like. Max Martin's writing a song today, you know, but <laughs> in like that whole team, they're all writing songs every day. And, yeah. you know, not every one of those is a hit either. So, no, no. But if you're like on the, on the consumer side, you only hear the hits and then you maybe get to know, like hear about, uh, like some top producer, Max Martin or something like that. And yeah. then you just, oh man, he made that song and he made that song and he made that song. But you don't hear the, like other hundreds of songs that right. maybe not, get to that spot right? yeah i think they're smart yeah. they don't release the they only release the hits um they know when they have a hit yeah ride. that's also part of it yeah um but audio is funny in that way because like the public and especially as you're like learning to make records you know your, your mm. stuff doesn't sound very good <laughs> and um <laughs> but everybody's so used to hearing amazing sounding records and you know you, and you just feel like so insecure about like well mine just suck <laughs> and yeah um and it's hard. And I think there's other things that are more forgiving sometimes, maybe. Like, you know, yeah. if somebody sees somebody perform music live, they're a lot more forgiving. Like, oh, you know, they're up there. They're like really trying and emoting it, like, even if they're not very good, you know, and they're being brave and all that stuff. And like, but you don't kind of yeah. get that, like, that grace in making records. Like, it either sounds good or it doesn't. <laughs> and, yeah, and and you have like a direct comparison for the next Spotify track in the in the playlist, right? Yeah. <laughs> so so you can just like okay, if your song is followed up by like a One Republic or a Coldplay song, yeah, then your song might <laughs> be a little bit <laughs> not at their level when you're starting out. <laughs> yeah. Making your own music, right? So yeah, I think that's that's a tough one. I think that's a important realization that you you really have to start somewhere. And so it's a journey. And yeah. it's a, it's a funny journey. Like when you first start making records, um, all you have is energy, you know, and everything like you got a lot of energy, but it doesn't sound good. And then you go through <laughs> yeah. like this deep, 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 deep valley of like learning to make it sound good. Um, and then for me, at least in my experience, it, it can come at the cost of like losing that initial kind of energy thing. And yeah. you go, so when you buy all these plugins that most of them you don't need, because <laughs> you think like, oh, if I only have this plugin, it's going to sound better. And, hmm. and then you finally come out of that valley and realize, well, you know, I could have made it sound good with the stock plugins and an SM7 or SM57 yeah. even. Um, and so, and then like, I feel like I'm finally cresting that hill. You feel like, okay, now I have the, 
the technical skills under my belt. And I'm, I, I'm confident in that. I know how to make it sound good. Um, mm. You can always grow, but you're like, I feel good in these. Now let me get back to the energy. And that's, a, at least for me, that was a long journey. <laughs> it's like yeah. 10 year journey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it definitely like, it doesn't come overnight. And, and it like the technical part is just like, as you're saying, one thing and at your level and like the technical th- side of things are just a tool now for you. Right. I'm guessing. Yeah. Um, and then like getting the energy and getting the, the vibe and getting into the, like getting into the gist of the song is, is the hardest part and your tools are there to, to help you get there. Yeah. And uh, it's not something we talk about a lot and that's not something you're going to see on Instagram a lot because, you know, the plugin company, you can sell plugins, you can sell gear, you know? Yeah. And a lot of people like to sell training and stuff like that and whatever, that's its own thing. Um, but it's, <laughs> it's, you can't sell somebody like, Hey, go write five more songs. <laughs> you know? like, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> like, I guess you could do a class and like, you can like, and, and sometimes people need that structure, but um, the gear is just tools. And yeah. um, I was able to work in a multi-million dollar studio with a dream mic locker, um, two vintage uh, Telefunken 251s, two vintage Neumann U67s, vintage C24, uh, Sony C800, uh, another C- AKG C12, like cra- you know, crazy mics, uh, and then a lot of great it's ribbon super mics. Super expensive for, for everyone who doesn't know. Super oh, yeah. So, mic. yeah, each one of those mics I just said was about 10 grand plus. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And... But it's cool being able to use those. And then we're going into like really expensive mic pre's, you know, vintage Neve 23, Neve 1073s from the 70s, um, yeah. you know, vintage blue face 1176s, uh, vintage LA2As, like like the dream gear, you know. Yeah. Um, the best and, you can get. Yeah, you can't, you pretty much can't buy better. And then we have like great instruments and then seeing like, okay, this is cool. And like these tools are great and they make it a little bit easier. I would say mm-hmm. like when you put a, a fantastic mic in front of a really great instrument in a great room, you're like, okay, you're like, cool. It just sounds good, but it's yeah. not like life changing, you know? <laughs> and you realize like, oh, you can get there with an SM7B, a Shure SM7B and an audio interface, you yeah. know, if you know what you're doing and, and uh, you might have to fight a little harder to get there, mm. but it doesn't matter. And, and I thought it was, it's funny that like, you know, we had this amazing studio, but so much of like, especially Warner Public's records were made in hotel rooms and, hmm. um, on the road, like on a, on a portable uh, setup. Yep. Cause, cause Ryan was touring and that's where he had, yeah. where he had to work and he had, <laughs> you know, um, $150 headphones, $180 headphones that he's using <laughs> and he's just making records and it's, you know, you can yeah. you, you you learn to use the tools that you have, and when you have the yeah. toys, it's cool. Uh, but when you have a big old studio, especially with big old console, things break, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and like you've got to go and like patch the patch bay and know how to patch the patch bay and know to yeah. bypass phantom power and stuff like that. Like, and there's all yeah. these little technical things that can get in the way. And yeah, um, so don't ever feel like you 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 need some piece of gear. Like they're nice no. toys to have, but they're just knobs at the end of the day, and they don't make yeah. the music. Yeah, I've been guilty on that my, of that myself. Like wanting to going down into the hole that you're mentioning 
always looking at Nokia thinking, because they're so good at marketing. Like, yeah. the plugin <laughs> marketers, they're, they're really good at marketing, getting all the like, top engineers saying, oh, here's my plugin. Oh, yeah, I mix that with this, and you can get to sound like me by using my plugin. And, and like, they're so good at it. But, but I, a couple of years ago, realized the same that it's basically not the gear, it's how you use it. So, so actually, trying to limit what you use has been mm. a great tool for me, like, like moving forward. And like, another funny thing I've seen a lot of times is having these, like, people, big artists being in a million dollar studio and taking their MacBook laptop and placing it on top of the like very expensive console, like yeah. the desk. And there's basically just using it as a very expensive table and nothing else. It's like yeah. it's when that hit me, it was like, okay. <laughs> no need to dream of that Neve console anymore. <laughs> yeah. They're they're super cool, those consoles, but and and if you're tracking like a very whole cool. band yeah. Um, and especially Invaluable. if you're in a situation like there's there's a person who's the engineer in the room, there's a person who's a producer in the ro- room, and like the engineer is like, I'm running Pro Tools, and the producer's like, okay, let me just get it going on the console. That's great. Yeah. It, that's where yeah. the I think a console really shines in a tracking moment. But that's not how you're usually making records, at least in in the genres I'm working in. Um, hmm. And it's expensive to make records that way because you got to book a studio <laughs> that has a studio, you know, and then you got to spend all day getting the drums dialed in. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of those in those situations you're talking about, people are probably there more for the speakers because they they've exactly, got some yeah. sick, you know, hundred thousand dollar speakers that are soft mounted in the in the room that sound amazing and can get super loud. And, yeah, and super know. low, and and you get everything there. <clears throat> but yeah, definitely, I think that's that's so true. Yeah. Cool. You can spend money. I mean, speakers is something worth investing in. And exactly. Um, yeah. I learned, I, I recently bought new speakers about a year ago and I learned an, a lesson of you really have to be aware for the speakers for your room. Um, yeah. I was ready to get like these Focal <laughs> Trio 6. Super big. Or whatever, like they were big. And then I brought them in my room. I heard them in somebody's room. I'm like, these are amazing. I brought them to mine. It was small. And like, these sound like crap. <laughs> yeah. So those rooms, those speakers didn't sound good in my room. And I was like, well, let me try the smaller ones that in the room I at the at the at the store it didn't sound that good in and then i brought them in my room and they sounded great because yeah. they were the speakers meant for my room and so you, you don't necessarily need the most expensive speaker you just need the right speaker for your room and for home studios you know you know a uh, five to eight inch might be the right one yeah and it's like that really like nails some of the hard part about music and especially where i'm coming from from mixing and like when you think about it, you're sitting in your room and you're working on your speakers. And when your room has such an impact, and also your speakers has such an impact on how you listen to the music, like just thinking about that, everyone listening to whatever song you're working on will listen on a different device in a different room, like in a car or on their phone or in their bathroom, and like yeah, super tough to get it sounding great on everything there. But but yeah, that's a whole another story. Just yeah. to think about it when, when you talked about speakers and and the problems you were going through there. But um, I mean, but just mix on headphones too. I, I I hope that we're finally in a new generation. People like we've all just done it, where it's not like you know that's like probably the <laughs> yeah. most asked question on the internet is how do you mix on headphones? I'm like, well, you just do it. You know, just put on headphones and start mixing. And if you're a person who like made spent 15 years mixing on speakers and then you go to headphones. I can understand that that's totally a different experience and you have to relearn what you're listening for, but find some headphones. They don't have to be expensive. You know, Andrew Sheps is mixing on Sony 7506 or whatever. They're like $90 headphones. 
you know yeah. and he's he's like making major label records on those as a mixer and yeah just find a pair of headphones you like and just you know try sonar works and see if that helps you know try mm. like i use waves and x a little bit and not that i have to have it but i'm like okay this kind of helps and then just you know like that's i think that's a new almost required skill of today and it'll give you a lot of freedom because then you can be anywhere and you yeah, can work exactly and I, th- and I think it ties into actually having to like having to produce and deliver your product really really fast because it's such a like like a really competitive market there's always i've talked to other people who are like in these kind of mix shootouts or you get sent a mix and three other mixing engineers get sent the same mix and if mm. you're the first one to deliver you're the first one they're going to listen to and that might be a really big advantage so yeah so if you're stuck on the road and stuck in some apartment and you can actually make a great mix on on headphones then that's better than waiting three days to get to your studio and and, and doing it there yeah and it's that's, that's perfectly doable you yeah. know you just kind of learn you just i don't know you just do it enough and you kind of figure out what how to use it and um i think getting some sort of like a being plugin to put on your master i like the i think it's called metric ab from plugin alliance mm-hmm. um yeah. where you can easily just get perspective on like you can toggle a button and play back your reference mix and then whether it's the artist reference mix or like your outside reference mixes from records you like and yeah. then you just like oh okay this one's kind of sound like this and then you just get i don't know it, you, you can do it it works yeah exactly yeah Awesome. So, so when you're working with artists and, and creating and sculpting their songs, it must be a very like a delicate process because songs are, are often, in some degree, like rooted in artists' emotions, as we talked about, and they're trying to express themselves and getting people to to feel what they're feeling. Yeah. And like their very personal experience. How do you manage working with with artists like as on something so personal and emotional as their own songs? Um, I think if you like as a producer, if you see yourself as like, I'm the tool or vessel to like just get this out into the world and to the speakers, that yeah. helps. Um, if it's an artist that like you're developing and working a lot, you just do so many songs that you kind of beat it out of them in a way. Like not everyone has to be a baby, you know. Like like they're emotional, <laughs> and they're, they're 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 personal, but like. I kind of find sometimes the more precious people are about a song, the more difficult it is to make it into a good record. Um, yeah. And not that it's, it's possible and you have to just, it's really, I guess about getting the vocal down. Um, yeah. Is it because but, they're like being defensive about it or being not willing to change it? Or is it just hard to come with suggestions when, when it's someone's baby? I think maybe it's like they've thought about it for so much and they may have this idea in their head of what they want it to sound like. Mm-hmm. And I think kind of a fundamental um, lesson you learn when you're creating anything is that it's not about getting what's in your head to come out of the speakers. It's kind of about like, I call it like throwing the clay on the table and just like shaping it and seeing what comes out and seeing yeah. if that's effective, you know? Um Cause you're like, Oh, I have the synth sound in my head and I can't find it. Well, okay. You're never going to find it, you know? Um, <laughs> Maybe it doesn't exist. <laughs> yeah. I find that, but find that part that works. And some, the, sometimes the more a person, even you as a producer 
or if the artist in that case has like this this super concrete idea of how they want it to sound but they they can't oftentimes they can't communicate that to you because they don't know the mm. language of production which is fine yeah. they need to focus on their thing um and so that can lead to frustration you know and and they go yeah. no this you're not getting it you're not getting it um and so i think you want to try to avoid that at the beginning and just kind of like it to like okay we want to get the feeling to come out what feeling yeah. are we going for rather than like a specific exact sound i mean you want to have like a direction right like are we mm, doing an yep. indie pop record are we doing like a dance record you know <laughs> like those are two different yeah. things um uh, are we doing like a folk record you know and but I, I almost even just coaching people like you know like you are a good artist you are a good singer we're gonna try mm. to get it out with this song if we don't you're gonna make more you know yeah and try and instill the confidence of that in people or you can try yeah. this record again you know and 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 kind of give them that net of of uh safety and i think is especially yeah. in recording vocals people need to feel really comfortable and safe you know yeah and, you have like, to be the most patient person in the world sometimes. <laughs> yeah. And, I, I like I, I've come from a, a musical like studies background and we we learned about singing and all that kind of stuff. But it's so hard with singing because like a guitar, you can if it if the guitar can't get like feel anything different and it doesn't affect how it's playing. It's just playing. It works. But if you're like having your body being uncomfortable if you just ran up the stairs it will be super difficult to sing and like i think that's really makes the vocal the toughest part to to record right and like what you need to cater for the most yeah um to to get to get there and, and uh, what i'm hearing you you're saying is like trying to create a safe space around like being able to this might, might not be the one song for you. There's going to be a lot of other songs yeah. getting people comfortable. Yeah, I maybe wouldn't say it like that, kind of how I was saying before, but maybe just kind of no, like no, try, to try to instill the confidence in them of like, yeah, yeah, exactly. you That's are a I'm good meaning. singer. You are a good artist. Like, yeah. let's try to capture this feeling. And, you know, and you maybe you could say it like, whether we do or don't, like you're going to make great music in the future too. And because it's a skill. It's not like it's not like the more you think about like, oh man, I finally like, like found a diamond or something. And, and sometimes you kind of do, but like you have to trust your skill as a crafts person and as an artist that like you are going to be able to hit really good songs mm. over and over again. And you will as you do it a lot. Um, and and when you're doing vocals, like I like to have like kind of like a like a almost like a powwow in the beginning of, I really want to talk to the artist and be like, okay, how, how if you track vocals before a lot, is there a way you like to do it? And mm. then I'll run them through the way I usually like to do it and um, see if that's what they want to do. I really, really communicate. And I'll, I'll say this to them multiple times, like stop me if your headphone mix isn't right. You have mm. 10 times the permission you need to stop me to get your headphone mix right. I will spend an hour getting your headphone mix right. That doesn't usually happen, but yeah. I want them to know that they have that. Um, yeah. Because I want them to feel like they've comfortable. Um, and then there's certain technical tricks that you can do to help that too. Because um, if they feel that they're singing out of tune, they're going to get discouraged. Um, yeah. 
So one I learned just a couple years ago is flip the phase of the vocal mic. Yeah. Um, so if you have a preamp that has it there, that's probably the best place to do it. Um, like let's say you're using a UA so you can like monitor with super low latency, flip the phase there. Um, yeah. Or just, you know, if you're having a track through uh, logic and you have an interface that doesn't have um, a phase flip or the technical term is a polarity flip, if any mm. of the super nerd <laughs> engineers want to correct me, uh, phase <laughs> is technically something different, but it's the circle with the slash. Um, <laughs> exactly. And what that does is um, when you, you know, when you're, t- when you talk, you can hear your voice or when you sing, you hear your voice resonating through your chest and through your mm. bones and through your body. And I think that there's a buildup of low end on headphones. And if you, f- if you flip the polarity, uh, it cancels out some of that low end and it makes your vocal feel a little more in your head and a little more clear. Um, yeah. if it and feels uncomfortable on the, on the pitch. Yeah. Yeah. If it feels uncomfortable to them, like take it off. Um, but yeah. like, kind of try be like, how's this feel? Does this feel a little better? Um, it's a weird trick and it works well. <laughs> um, and then I will also have the conversation with artists and be like, I don't know what it is, but headphones make people sing like a quarter step flat <laughs> <You know? laughs> and like it does it to everyone. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and, and so don't be discouraged. Like that's the headphones mm. doing that to you. Some really yeah. good singers learn to compensate for that. And that's amazing. Yeah. I don't know mm. how they do it. Um, <laughs> but you know, if, if you're playing, if you're hearing it back, you're like, Oh, it's a little flat, you know, oftentimes it's the headphones fault. Yeah. Uh, even if that's not hundred percent true, that's what we say. <laughs> it's the headphones fault, <laughs> <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. and, uh, I don't record with auto tune in their ears. I don't know how people do that. Um, some people can, but I will yeah. throw an auto tune, like a light auto tuning on the playback. Um, yeah. So that they can hear a more, the vocal performance as it's going to be, you know? Yeah. So just protect, you got to really protect the ego of the singer. Um, yeah. I think that's great. Yeah. Like, so, so when they listen to it played back in the studio, they don't hear it like, the quarter step off, they actually hear it more yeah. finished with a with an easy plugging on. There and if you got to go back and punch that. something because it's out of tune, be like, okay, hey, this wasn't quite there. Let's go punch this. Punch this. Everyone note. makes mistakes. Yeah. yeah. So so, so that you can't be like the one going into the studio making the first <laughs> the first take the perfect one. There's always, and I think every vocalist knows that because they are practicing and they know, okay, I'm getting better and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Right? Hopefully so. they're practicing. <laughs> a lot yeah. of singers don't think that like, I'm like, you know, you have to practice the piano. You have to practice the sport. Yeah. You need to practice I, your vocals. You I know? actually think that comes a lot from more than any other instrument. I think like singers are some of them who discovers that they can actually just sing naturally really great. Yeah. Like they they are really good. You don't just walk up to a piano and, and figure out, oh man, I'm super good at playing piano. That's right, like natural right. to me. But but a vocalist can naturally be good. Uh, and other vocalists who didn't start out with a great voice in their life, they have to practice and they know they need to practice. But yeah. if you got it all from the start, and and I'm saying that with, this with a lot of like caution, but you have to practice to get good. But you can start out with a really great voice. Yeah. Um, if you're going to be the best in the world, though, you the best in the world, like Ariana Grande sure as hell has a vocal yeah, coach. Exactly. You know? like, like, I always say, like, my analogy is like sports. Like, LeBron James has a coach. 
you know, <laughs> yeah, he's one of the best in the world of basketball. He still has a coach, you know. Yeah, like, exactly. You can't get to the top level if you're not practicing. You can get to like a mid level and be an okay vocalist. Yeah, but if you really want to get good, you need to practice, even though you started with the most amazing voice ever when, yeah. when you got got into this world, right? Uh, but yeah, cool. So for anyone like starting out and wanting to to switch into like producing songwriting, what would your advice be? Like, what if you could go back to your eighteen year old self and give yourself advice? What would it be? Like a non technical yeah. <laughs> music advice. Um, I would say get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Uh, mm. It takes a lot of work and a lot of time, especially from like a production perspective because you really can't bullshit as a producer anymore there was a time you could be the guy that like i just lay on the couch and give my opinions and and there's tremendous value for that if you really can do that well um but if you're the guy who or girl if you're the person who makes the records it either sounds good or it doesn't you know so you can't like just be like, oh, I'm just the bullshit energy person in the room. And not to knock those people, sometimes you need the bullshit energy person in the room. <laughs> and, you know, um, who just like creates the party sometimes, you know? Um, but you can't, you know, you can't like fake it with records. Um, no. You know, people can hear, is your stuff cool or not? And uh, it takes a long time, or at least it took me a long time. <laughs> it, it may take a long time. You may be really cool and you can do it really short. And if you're like 14 or 13 years old and you're at home, like, and you don't have to have a job because, you know, like you're, you're in a good situation like that, take advantage of that time where you can just dive in. Um, mm. Cause you know, yeah, sometimes you're like, oh man, Martin Garrix was like 17 and he was crushing it. Well, like you, you probably really took advantage as a kid to, yeah. to really dive in and get and get good, and this the everybody's got access to something to record. Mm. Um, but get get comfortable with being uncomfortable because it could take a long time, you know. And like I'm in my 30s now, and like especially as I start going through my mid to late 20s, you see all your friends like starting to make strides in in their you know more traditional careers. And that can be discouraging, you know, and, mm. and I see that a lot, especially because I'm not in a music hub. I think if you're in a music hub, you're going to have a lot more support in that way, because you're going to see more people around you doing what you do um, and having the same struggles and failures and successes. Um, but when you're off on an island and, and there's a lot of us who, who aren't in music, music centers, um, yeah. you need to persevere and you're going to see your friends buying houses and you'll be like, I, I can't imagine buying a house, you know, <laughs> and you have yeah. to just keep going and uh, realizing it's a long journey. And, and then you do also need to go to a music center with some sort of regularity, because for me, I have to go to LA and get my ass kicked, you know, because <laughs> that's going to keep you sharp and keep you the fire into you because you throw a rock in LA, you're going to hit somebody better than you. And, (laughs) you know, there are middle schoolers who are better than your band. I'm sorry, Mm. in LA. (laughs) And you need to go there and you go, oh no, we got to get home and practice. (laughs) Because there's some 13 year olds who can kick my ass, you know? (laughs) And, and so it doesn't, you know, whether it's LA or just like find whatever's closest to you. And like, you need to kind of see that energy Mm. And, and LA is great for that. Um, Nashville's cool. I'm, you know, I'm sure obviously there's, there's London, there's, um, Stockholm, you know, there's Berlin, there's Atlanta. 
I'm sure I'm going to miss a ton of the big music cities. There's places to go. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. But yeah. Cause you need, it's, it's a long journey, but it's, it's fun. <laughs> Definitely, yeah. And yeah. You, you, we're lucky too, that we, we found something that we really enjoy, that we're passionate about and yeah. that we can potentially turn into to making money at it. Yeah, exactly. And I think like the passion there is really important because when you're in that situation where you're seeing your friends buying houses and all that kind of stuff and you're like on this grind, like the passion is what gets you. And that's also what's like, I think to me is is going to be the most valuable thing you can do for yourself, actually getting a job you're so passionate about that you can see everyone else like progressing a lot and getting all like these standard things, a house, a car and all that. Yeah. And, and you're still in that job that you really like and you're okay with that. I think that's right. really important. Yeah. And I, there's, there's like, you know, there's different value to things. And one thing that I really like about my current situation is that because I work for myself, um, I'm 100% control of my time. And mm, yeah. I like that. Um, you have to learn to be disciplined with that because you don't have like <laughs> to show up to work. So I could go home. I could just play video games all day, but then yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not going to make any money. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, you have to kind of learn a new sense of responsibility and that comes, that's a learned skill. So if you're, if you're younger, you're like, Oh no, like, you know, cause I personally thrived in like the structured environment of school and mm. you know, you're going through school, you're like, oh yeah, I'm like going into this grade and this is coming next, and I get this degree, and you think like everything's laid out in front of you, and then you get to the real world, you're like, Well, crap. Oh <laughs> shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which is I think most everybody. And you're, you're like, there's no set path anymore. There's no like immediate feeling of progression. Um mm. and and in music to find that like is as long as you can like look back at like records you made one, two, three, four years ago, and you're like, okay, I'm getting better. That's what I hold on to, you know. Yeah, exactly. That's um, so important to do. You're and not going go to go from zero. Save it. Yeah, and that's why you need to save every project <laughs> that you have. Yeah, so we'll just bounce and... out an MP3. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so you can listen to it. One other piece of advice that I do is like I don't listen to songs outside of the DAW usually. Um, mm. and this is just a personal thing. Like I'm not the guy who wants to put it on my phone and listen to it in the car because then I'll listen to it too much and I'll lose perspective. Um, so uh, that's a technical one. Yeah. I'm just not going to, yeah, in there, but that's but. great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Well, Matthew, time is flying. It's been super great to have you on the podcast. Um, I yeah. only have like one final question for you mm -hmm. and this should hopefully be an easy one. Like what is your favorite song at the moment? What's playing on repeat when you're not in the studio and, and it's like, yeah, you're going to have to give me a second <laughs> to look. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so I've been listening to a lot of audiobooks <laughs> recently. So, <laughs> okay, what's your favorite audiobook? Um, <laughs> okay, I think this is a relevant answer because um, I, I used to listen a lot of, or used to read a lot of nonfiction, and I recently, in the last couple of years, switched to fiction because oh, I wanted cool. to like exercise my imagination more. If that makes sense, yeah, and that makes totally sense. And I think that actually helps me make records. Um, mm. So I really like the author Brandon Sanderson. He's got um, this book, um, Way of Kings, is the start of this whole thing. I, I like it's fantasy. Yeah. Um, cool. They're very, very, very long. So if you get one of those free Audible <laughs> credits, it's really good value because they're like yeah. fifty hours long. Um, so, but I, I don't know. I kind of actually felt that that helped me make better music. 
in an yeah, odd way. I think that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, because we're like using our imagination. Yeah. Yeah, exercising your imagination. I think that's really cool. Um, and if I like the first song that's popping in my head, it's not new, but I I love Jack Garrett. Uh, he's from the UK, and he's got this song called "Weathered." That's just yeah. like oh, so good, and it's not like a hit song. And if you ever see Jack Garrett live, prepare to feel a little depressed because he's like better at every instrument than you. <laughs> you know? You're like, oh wow, he's really good at piano. He's really good at guitar and drums and singing. And I'm like, oh my god. Uh, <laughs> but those, so those, those would be my two answers. That's great. That's great. I'm going to put a link to both of those things, like the 50-hour-long audiobook <laughs> and yeah. the, the great song. Yeah. Awesome, Matthew. It's really been a pleasure. Um, yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great day. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening. Just one last thing. Are you tired of vague, imprecise, and confusing wall-of-text revision notes? For many clients or collaborators at a time and through multiple communication challenges all at once? Me and my co-founder, we made a solution to this. You can try it out for free by going to audome.com. That's A-U-D-O-M-E.com. Link in the description.